Thanks for joining us for another intriguing edition of the Stack Pack. Perhaps you can help solve a mystery. Yeah, that's right. That's right, you self-quarantined super specimens. Yeah, hey guys, welcome to another intriguing edition. Uh, it's just Dave and I tonight. Hope you guys are staying safe, staying in place. Binging on that Netflix, the Hulu, the oh. Amazon Primes, all the streaming uh, platforms. I, I think it's funny that there is, I was reading an article, I saw an article, I didn't even click on it. It said, Ted Sedaro says that Netflix viewing is up. <laughs> no shit, like that's not, that's not science. That's not, that's, I mean, that's like saying, yeah, bread is uh, bready and the sky is blue. Grass is green. Yeah. Of course, people are watching fucking Netflix, Ted. Yeah, because it's quarantine and chill, or quarantine and Vaseline, or seclude and get nude, or lock down and pound town, or hide and astroglide. Uh, <laughs> that last one sounds... It sounds a little gross. The last one sounds... It just sounds more <laughs> predatory. More rapey? Hide and astroglide. Yeah. Hide, hey, but in case you do get caught, make sure to astroglide. <laughs> I was looking for things that rhymed, all right? <laughs> anyway, we got we got cases. Our first case is the Lost Loves, and, uh, you know, you know how we feel about Lost Loves. Um, it's uh, It was sweet, unlike the last Lost Loves we covered where the, uh, the findee felt a little uh, alienated. Oh, yeah, that was whereas, awkward. Whereas this one, she was like, oh, like, this is great. Like, you know, it, it's nice to know, like, these people have always been looking for me. Yeah, it's definitely less awkward than the last uh, lost love. Yeah, so Rosemarie was um, a child. Oh, God. All right, let's let's zip through this story real quick <laughs> so so this story takes place in 1953 in buffalo new york wherein a 17 year old eleanor platt um became interested in this handsome gentleman named john Elias, uh, who happened to be an african-american and also i think 10 or 11 years older than her and uh, so john elias was black and that wasn't cool in the 50s right and obviously, yeah, like Dan said, being like over 10 years older is kind of weird. So uh, eventually he asks her to uh, to be his to, – to marry him, him Herm. <laughs> They're going to like leave home during Christmas and she's going to move in with him. And, and it worked out. So they lived together until January of 1954. And then um, Eleanor discovered she was pregnant. So she actually returned home to her parents to let them know what happened. And her father was like some racist piece of shit alcoholic. And in the reenactment, he's a real piece of shit. Um, and he like says no and sends her off to like, a, you know, some he's, place for unwed mothers. You know, this is like what they would do with teenage brides back then. They would send them to a place so they could have their baby in seclusion. And so they wouldn't secret. be shamed by the society of the 50s or whatever. Yeah, and the guy even goes as far as like telling the cops that that John raped his daughter, and he gets arrested for it, right? Because yeah. he's a black guy in the fifties, and she's a white girl who's way younger. I mean, some ra- really shady shit. Yeah, I mean, r- rape is definitely a little harsh, but at the same time, I feel like uh, 
Well, he also claimed like her dad also claimed that like John was like holding her against her will. It was one of the other charges. And ultimately John like just, you know, because he generally loves her and he doesn't want to put her through the, like, the trauma of having to go to court and like testify fully knowing that she's going to be like, no, like I married him and I loved him. He ultimately just pleads to these false charges to, to spare his love of having to testify. Yeah. So she has a kid and she has to give it up eventually. Right. And she reluctantly gives it up and for adoption, Eleanor has a like complications with the birth. So she can't have any more kids. And then like her and what's his face never get back together. And they, you know, they both marry separate people and, you know, live happily, happy lives. And then, you know, later in their lives, I think in the 80s, late 80s, um, John Elias begins searching for his long-lost daughter. You you skipped over the part where, like, the dad has John ran out of town practically by lynch mob. Uh, yeah. Like like David said, this this dad was a literal big old piece of shit. Yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. These, this is, it's not, it's not a fun one. And there's no murder. It's just pure hate. It sucks. Yeah, so he gets ran out of town, and that's why they stop being together. And then, obviously, um, they go on and marry separate people and live lives of – they're happy. But John's looking for his daughter in the 80s, and then he runs into Eleanor, and they, they go on this crusade together to look for their kid. Um, being happy adults and their spouses uh, fully supporting, you know, their – Yeah, they're, they're – their spouses were like actually like oh they're like oh like we think this is a great opportunity. So after this case airs, their daughter's coworker calls her and is like, "Have you been watching Unsolved Mysteries?" And she's like, "No." And they're like, "Your parents are looking for you." And I don't know how exactly she could tell that it was the, it was the right person, but yeah. And so the night, you know, so she flies out to meet him and stuff, and they have a nice little uh, reunion. And they were also able to meet their grandchildren for the first time. And Eleanor died uh, uh, November 26, 2019, at the age of 83. So that means that means probably the rest of them are still alive. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, as sad as the story is, as briefly as we covered it, it does have a nice, cute, happy ending. Yeah. It, yeah. Okay. It's a yeah, whatever. Okay. <laughs> but now let's get on to some... Uh, some real crime. Oh, this one. This isn't. This story sucks. Is this the drunk driver one? Yeah, this one sucks. Okay, so we're talking about. Um, we're talking about John William Constable and John his, Wilkes Booth and his sixty-nine-year-old wife Virginia Ann Constable. They were retired and they've been married for forty-five years. Um, and that marriage ended Sunday, uh, March third, nineteen ninety-one, when they left to go visit their daughter in Florida. Um, she lived three hours away from them. So they take off around noon and when they're just a few miles away from their home, there's a drunk driver in a pickup truck going in the opposite direction as them. And he runs them off the road and, uh, well, he doesn't run them off the road. He runs another vehicle off the road and then ultimately drives head on into their vehicle. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's right. Somebody gets zooms out of the way and then they get the, yeah. So they're dead. Um, he immediately dies. They take her to the hospital and she dies very soon after. Uh, Robert Stack mentions that as she's medevaced to the hospital, he mentions that every single organ in her body is just pulverized or ruptured. 
Uh, but for a moment, can we, can we take take a pause and talk about the reenactment? The guy they hired to play the drunk driver was like really channeling, like, "All right, I just left the bar. I've had too many to drink." Yeah, like, I mean, like this guy is like trying. If he he kind of looks like the uh, uh, from the Simpsons, the the Duff Boys, Surly. He kind of has that look as he's driving. He looks like a big idiot who's trying to look real serious, too. Real serious and real drunk. He's like me on day nine of uh, self-quarantine. Oh, wait. That's now. Um, anyway. Yeah, but so he's a piece of shit, and he runs these people off the road. Um, so the driver survives the accident, and um, he's being put into an ambulance, and the, the Florida Highway Patrolmen get there, and um, they immediately notice that he smells straight up like booze. And uh, later they found out that his uh, blood alcohol level was 0.22, which is like twice Florida's legal limit back then, which was 0.10, which is like pretty high. Like, what's the legal limit now? Like 0.08, which is equivalent to three beers within one hour, depending on your size and metabolism. Yeah. So he so this guy was drunk as shit. Um, he's taken to the Kissimmee Memorial Hospital 12 miles away. So let's cut to Linda, who's the daughter of this couple, and she's worried because her parents don't arrive. So she calls the uh, Florida Highway Patrolman to see where what happened to them, and they arrive like really quick after, and she's like, oh, wow, they're taking this seriously. But then they go inside and give her the bad news that both of her parents th- uh, have been killed. I think Robert Stack kind of alludes like as she hung up, the highway patrolman like pulls up is kind of like how they play it off in the reenactment. So this drunk piece of shit, uh, suffered from a broken jaw, broken ankle and three broken ribs. His jaw was also wired shut. And, uh, he was in the intensive care unit. His family who is from that area was visiting him all the time at the hospital. And on March 6th, three days after the accident, he was kind of, you know, up in a wheelchair and he, he was doing pretty good. Oh yeah, his fucking family. family. They're like, "Oh, we're just going to take him for a walk." And and one of the one of the nurses on the floor is just like, "Well, you know, it's after visiting hours, but be sure to just have him back in bed in 20 minutes and everything's cool." But no, does he come back in 20 minutes? No, this motherfucker sneaks out of a side door of the hospital and runs off. With like, but the reenactment's funny because it's like his family's there, so there's like five adults around one guy in a wheelchair, and they're just like looking around, like, "Oh, let's get him out of here." <laughs> it was kind of like an Ocean's Eleven scheme on how to get him out, just yeah. without all the detail, like a super <laughs> obvious, like, yeah. <laughs> Doctor was really his cousin. Oh, can we can we talk about Linda, their daughter, in, in the Talking Head segments? She straight up looks like Elton John. Oh yeah, that's true. I was I was noticing that. I was like, dude, her hair is just a little bit long, but she looks I, like. I think I think it's not the hair; it's the glasses that she, do it. Oh, it's the color of the hair. She looks like two thousand two Elton John, like young old Elton John. Like now he's kind of he's pretty old, but I would say like two thousand two, he was like a young old. <laughs> I mean, put Linda in a purple suit with a green tie, and you got Elton John in two thousand twelve. Or 2002. Yeah, I'd say two th- Yeah, I'd say early aughts for sure. Yeah, uh, we'll post that on the Instagram. It'll be funny. So um, anyway, uh, he escapes from the hospital from the trauma center. So this drunk piece of shit. His real name is John White. Oh, John White. So, but his alias is Jimmy James or Double J J Square J Smooth Jimmy J. So oh. James. So John. 
so John White had like a fucking long history of drunk uh, driving arrests. And of course the cops figure this out after this dude just fucking takes off. He gets fucking busted out of the hospital by his family. And so the investigators are trying to like figure out like where this guy lives. Um, His driver's license isn't from Florida. It's from North Carolina. And uh, when the investigators went to the listed address on the license, uh, A, he wasn't there. Well, to start off, he wasn't there to begin with. Uh, but the person that lived there was just like, no, this this guy's never lived here. I don't know who you're talking about. And uh, like it, he just basically like they don't know if he it was an old address that he used to live there or if it just happened to be some random address that he picked and was like using that as as like his mailing address because he had had so many previous drunk driving arrests. So two days after the broadcast, the Unsolved Mysteries audience captures this pussy. Um, he was uh, seen at a bar in Burlington, Vermont. So he's arrested. Uh, two weeks later, he's returned to Florida to face the charges for two counts of the DUI manslider. And manslider. And they sentence him to eleven whole years in prison with fifteen months probation. His driver's license was permanently revoked, so he couldn't get it back. And he was also ordered to pay $12,000 for the burial expenses which for the people that he killed, which is like, what the fuck? That's it? So he, he got released in 96, and 2010, he was actually found in violation of his probation, and he actually had to go to jail until 2013. But that still seems like way... Seems like a slap on the wrist. Way too lenient for this fucking dude. 11 years for killing two people. And he had had drunk driving arrests before, too. Yeah. Shame on this fucker. So, yeah, those are that that is that case. The next case is a little more intriguing. It is the Yeti. Yeah, now this one's fun because it's the Yeti. Yeah, fucking. The Yeti. The first case was the Boring Lost Loves, and then the second one was just. Just sad because some dude had to drink and drive. Just like a DUI hit and run. Yeah. And then couldn't even man up to his mistake. Yeah. But now we're going to be talking about a mythical creature in the um, Indian, in the Himalayas, right? Yeah, the Himalayas. A Yeti. A Yeti. So it's the ice snowman, uh, Peter Byrne and Byrne and Slick. We're going to be talking about Byrne and Slick, who were these expedition guys, these dudes who went on a bunch of Yeti expeditions. Sounds like a porn title. Yeah, Byrne and Slick. Yeah, Peter Byrne. No, I don't know. But this guy has a, a delightful British accent. I can't even, I can't even, like, it's too fancy to, I can't even. It's very prim and proper. Yeah, it's it's great. He, he, uh, he sounds like Roger Moore's dad. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, and he, he was uh, one of the dudes who went on this, uh, these expeditions and it's a fun story. You know, they talk about, um, the abominable snowman. They actually talk about how, where that came from. And they used to call him an abominable man because apparently early, uh, sightings or sniffings as well. They said he smelled terrible. The smell was abominable. So that came from abominable man and an abominable. Well, you would smell like shit too. If you've never taken a bath. Yeah, that's true. No, I'm not blaming him. I'm just, I'm just, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying where it came from. So yeah, it's a fucking cryptid. This is a fucking snow Bigfoot or whatever, you know, um, hanging out in the Himalayas and, you know, uh, Sherpas have seen him and everybody has a bunch of awesome, uh, tales of this mythical creature. In 1951, this dude named Eric Shipton, 
uh, who was a famous mountaineer, came across 13-inch footprints that were eight inches wide, and uh, that um, was too big to be an ape or a man. You know, that's kind of where um, the modern Yeti lore uh, kind of sprang into existence. And they showed this awesome picture of a pickaxe next to this footprint. And they haven't made a cool mold out of the footprint, and it looks kind of deformed, but it's probably just because of the, you know, footprint melting. Ice melting or snow. Yeah, but it's a big old cryptid footprint, and it's super cool. It had individual toes, and it showed that it could squat, and it was very square. Unfortunately, on that discovery with Shipton, he didn't have very good photographic equipment, so the photographs weren't very well detailed. Uh, but that's totally fine because in 1957, a Texas oilman by the name of Tom Slick and a uh, explorer named Peter Moore set off to the Peter Burns, Slick and Burn. This is Slick and Burn. Yeah. So now they, we're getting into the Slick and Burn times. So they set off to the Arun Valley in the northeastern section of Nepal to search for the Yeti. Um, Burn believed that the Sherpas knew that the Yeti was real and that it had to be real, and they called him Hairy Man. So, so they would show like them pictures of like you know uh, the whole evolution of monkey to modern man, and they would pick the dude kind of right in the middle, you know. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> right. They they showed him like an eight by ten picture of like chimpanzees to gorillas to primitive man to other humanoids, like and, like uh, everything from like you know ape to caveman to uh, you Neanderthal. know Dan and myself sitting at um, doing a podcast in the middle of the night during the career. And, and the Sherpas just called him the hairy man because apparently he was like very hairy. Um, they estimated that he was about five foot to five foot six to five foot eight and totally yeah, yeah. covered in air, which, which kind of like contradicts the size because like if you're that short, your footprint isn't going to be that. Yeah. Big. Yeah. Those early sightings are little guys. Maybe so, it was a baby Yeti. Yeah. Maybe. Yeti Jr. But a lot of the sightings were like, it seemed like a person, it seemed like a human that was just like pretty average human size. This a face would be bare though, which is interesting. Um, yeah. So these dudes went, Tom Slick, and he got some Sherpa guides, and they found some tracks in the mud. And these ones measured like 10 inches, which makes a little more sense than the 13 inches ones, but... Yeah, I don't know. And then in 1958, Byrne takes a trip back, and he meets a Buddhist monk who uh, <laughs> knows of a preserved Yeti hand in a nearby temple. Yeah, and it was, it gets, it was this is where it gets a little Indiana Jonesy. And it was about the size of a human hand cut off at the wrist. Um, the monk was gracious enough to let Peter like see it to see it and take photos. Part of it is because he kind of bribed the monk, because apparently the monk had a taste for fine scotches. He liked to find scotch. Uh, I, <laughs> so, so, how many times does uh, Robert Stack? I think he says like fine scotch or good scotch like six times. Like it's like okay, we get it. The yeah. monk has taste. Yeah, he likes a good scotch. Whatever <laughs> he likes a peat. Anyway, I might be skipping over some things, but he he eventually takes this back to like his research. Like you know, I guess the people that are well, giving no, him money and other researchers. So, oh well, yeah, and, so and, and they're having like a fancy little British dinner. Well, he takes photographs and goes back to meet up with his colleagues at a fancy dinner. And they're like, oh, wow, like, that's so cool. Like, could you have taken the hand? And he's like, I asked. And they said no. And one of the uh, one of his friends slash investors like, well, what if you swapped it? Yeah, this dude just drops a human fucking skeleton hand on the uh, the table, like dropping a mic. 
<laughs> hand drop. Yeah, yeah. Like, and like uh, everyone, at, at a fancy, like just imagine, you know, just the fanciest. You're sitting at high tea yeah. at, at, a, at a swank country club, and this dude just pulls out a paper bag and drops a skeleton, like like yeah, a mummified hand, and he's just like, <laughs> and everyone has a cute little chuckle, and he's like, could you trade it with this? And uh, Peter Byrne is like, mm, maybe a finger. No, like that, I can't do. That's too obvious. But what if I, what if I like take a piece? So they come up with this ingenious plan. Ingenious or this genius? Ingenious. Genius? No, that's the right word. It's just it wasn't ingenious. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so they had this ingenious plan of like, okay, so we're going to take this finger. We're going to get this monk really drunk. I'm going to rip the finger off this Yeti hand. And then I'm going to take the human hand or the human finger and I'm just going to wire it. Just like taking like, yeah. like I don't know, like floral wire or like bailing wire, some type of like malleable wire. It's literally like the Austin Powers version of an Indiana Jones movie. Like... Like, oh, he's not just replacing it with a bag of sand and then something's going to chase him. No, he's got to, like, fucking <laughs> re- he has rewire to do some a hand. And, and what's really funny is, like, in the initial photograph that they show the hand, there's no visible, like, wires holding it together. It looks like it's a perfectly preserved hand. And then they show the photograph of, like, what he did after he swapped. And he's like, how did this monk not notice that it was fucked with? Like, there's, like, literally a ball of wire just wrapped around this fucking hand. Yeah. And then later <laughs> later they talk about Sir Edmund Hillary, like, the famous explorer. He went and did, you know, he was uh, up there in the Himalayas. And they decided that the Yeti didn't exist. Because when he was shown the hand, he saw a bunch of wires on it. He's just like, what the fuck is this? And it is just like... Oh no! Like another fancy English guy was here, and he he did that. Like no, it's oh fuck, it's all fucked. <laughs> oh man, it's funny. We're looking at the picture of this thing right now. Yeah, like do you see any wire? No wire. Next shot, fuck ton of wire. It also just looks like a pile of bird shit. It's black and white. Like it doesn't look like much. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Question: Do you think their table had a lazy Susan? <laughs> I didn't know there was rules for how which way Lazy Susan can go. Always clockwise. The Yeti uh, doesn't exist? I don't know. I like to think it does. Um, recently, there was some uh, trick tracks found by some uh, military guys in the Himalayas. Uh, I don't know if those were proven to be complete bullshit, but uh, I remember, I think it was around Christmas time. It wasn't that long ago. No. Uh, so the finger that uh, Homeboy actually took... Um, was tested. Uh, a tissue sample was pulled off and stored in an envelope for 30 years in some dude's desk, and he forgot about it. Um, that tissue was also tested, and both tests come back inconclusive. Like, uh, both tests say that the genetic material is more than likely human, but there's no definitive answer of whether it is or not. So, who's who's to say? Was it just the answer? So, the answer to the DNA test is yeah, but no. Yeah. <laughs> was it just uh, maybe some thief who got caught stealing and they chopped his hand off and preserved it? Or is it the hand of the El Yeti? How come there's no more yet? There's not that much Yetis in pop culture. I mean, obviously we have the Wampa. Uh, Womp? No, no. In it, pop culture, the Abominable Snowman in Monsters Inc. Uh, hey guys, I made snow cones. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. 
Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess I have seen Monsters Inc. It's I, lemon flavored. It looks like pee, but it's not pee. It's lemon. I was thinking about. I was thinking about uh, Empire Strikes Back. Uh, you know, the abominable snowman that holds Luke hostage in Star Wars. Uh, I don't know. I think they just made a movie about an abominable snowman too, like a kids movie. I am. A, I'm a fan of a Yeti, but. Um, I need proof. We need proof. We need to. We need to go find one ourselves. I think it's too cold for us. But you never know. What do you think, Yeti? Yeti, oh, real? There is an update. Uh, in 2011, uh, there was DNA sample, uh, DNA testing done on a bone fragment that Peter Byrne took, and the test confirmed that it was actually from a human. Like for sure, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Maybe it was just from like a weird. Uh haven't you seen a picture haven't you ever seen pictures of p- those people from the 50s that were just covered in hair oh from like the freak shows the side yeah shows? yeah have any of you seen the greatest show on earth i know that there's a bearded woman and i know that the uh, wolverine sings yeah so april 30th almost a year ago the the indian army said that it found footprints in the himalayas and they thought it was a yeti these footprints were 32 inches by 15 inches. That's insane, dude. That has to be fake. The military officials posted it on Twitter late Monday morning. <laughs> Army officials told the press that photographs of this footprint were taken by their Army's mountaineering expedition team and that they were being passed on to the scientific community for verification. Oh, 32 inches. That's fucking crazy. I remember that was considered a huge TV back then. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. It's like they're they get taking DNA and doing all these tests, but nothing. It's almost a year and nothing new. Nobody's narrowed down the origins of the footprints. This guy's quoted as saying, "You can't kill a legend with anything as mundane as facts." So that's a fun line, I think. Right? Yes. Yeah, so I don't know. I just thought it'd be fun to talk about a Yeti-related thing that was kind of in the news. It was. I remember reading about it. You remember reading about it? No, I do not. No, I remember reading about that. Um, I thought it was pretty fucking cool. A little interesting, uh, even if it's fake. But yeah, thirty-two inches. I mean, that's a big bear. Uh, <laughs> are we done with El Yeti? Can we talk about this eccentric uh, dude that has a fi- the same five-course meal every year? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, same five meals every day depending on the season. I don't know. This weird dude who lives on an island by himself, and he would have people over, and he would dress up for dinner, and uh, he had a bunch of – he was an odd fellow. His name was Stan- Stanton Bones. Just kidding. No. Dr. Carrie Q. Stanton. Yeah. Carrie Q. Stanton. Uh, this guy was Lifelong so bachelor. <laughs> that was a, this guy was so awkward. He was, he was a lifelong bachelor who left New York City to tend to his family ranch in, on Santa Cruz Island in uh, 1957. Um, his father, also a doctor... Um, acquired the land in 1937 when uh, Carrie was a teenager. Um, originally, the land was a ranch for raising sheep, but the sheep had become feral. Feral sheep? That sounds adorable. 
Uh, so the family decided to introduce cattle to the island instead. Um, when his father passed away, Carrie inherited the island, and he was very protective of it, and he rarely had visitors over. He would only have guests over once a year, and he would always serve the exact same meal served at exactly 7.30, and then at exactly 8.30 p.m., he would have coffee and an oatmeal cookie, and by, like, 9 p.m., he'd, like, look at his watch and be like, all right, guys, good night. Like, wouldn't even, like, make sure they got off the island or so he's just like, all right, it's nine. You guys can keep hanging out, partying, whatever. I'm wouldn't going even, to bed. Wouldn't even watch Carson. Yeah, wouldn't even stay up for Carson. <laughs> uh, but, like, this guy was, like, very particular. Like, like he kept a schedule. Um, he, uh, Robert Stack mentioned that uh, this guy was very adamant about meticulously labeling everything. He had a church? Oh, because there was a cemetery that had his, like, family plot. Yeah, yeah. It was, like, a small private island. (laughs) That's super weird. A tiny little church building. So, on December 8th of 1987, after not enjoying any Carson before fucking Leno takes over, uh, he passed away, and uh, they put him in his little cute cemetery on the island. Since he didn't have any heirs because he was a lifelong bachelor, like, no one was left to take over the family island. So he left it to the Nature Conservatory, uh, which was left in charge of keeping the island in pristine condition. Uh, April 27th of 1990, the Deputy Agriculture Commission... Some motherfuckers find some bones out there. Bunch of fucking grinded up bones in a tin. What do they find, like, jaw bones? Well, they found found, uh, a Sorry, I'm just cutting to the chase. Some guy with a title finds some fucking bones. (laughs) <laughs> they found a metal box in an old shed that was uh, that was locked that uh, contained ashes and the remains of what they believed to be a human. And what made them believe that it was human remains was there was like a cloth fastener that was manufactured between the 1940s uh, fake teeth. Hey, wait, wait. Let me stop you there. If you think this is going anywhere, it's not. Okay, continue. <laughs> uh, they found some like... <laughs> Fragments of false teeth that were manufactured in the 1940, and they even found, uh, I, I got to admit, it's a gorgeous ring once it was cleaned up, a diamond-studded platinum ring from World War II. With fucking grinded-up bones around it. Well, they weren't ground up, they were ashes. Ashes and bone pieces and bones. So anyway, uh, the uh, the deputy uh, takes these... Uh, these findings and has them tested and they're able to determine that the, the remains belong to an elderly female. Uh, but other than that, they really don't know anything else. Uh, they suspect she may have died of natural causes. I mean, um, this is fucking ashes and shit, you know, I, I love how like Robert stack talks about, like they believe she may have died after world war two. Like no duh. Like she had teeth from the 1950s. World war two ended in 1944. Like that's all they have. <laughs> and, and what's weird is like, uh, so somebody at some point is like, it's like, Oh yes. Um, doctor, whatever. I forget his name. He was so particular. He never would have left ashes. He never would have left that there. 
uh, on purpose. You know, he you know he would have like saying like he would have labeled it. If he killed somebody, he wouldn't have fucking left any evidence around. He was pretty meticulous, is what I got from that. Yeah, <laughs> he would have labeled it. He would have put a bird on it. Yeah, I don't know. This story goes nowhere. Like, so there was a guy who lived on an island, and then he died, and then they found some fucking human ass ashes with some fucking buttons and rings and jawbones and jaw. Am I making up a jawbone or some sort of bone? Right. Uh, I think they found a partial lower jaw that still had teeth. That's how they were able to determine that the teeth were uh, false. Okay. Yeah. So it's just a weird little oopsie do. <laughs> now, where did I put those remains that I should have buried? Yeah, I mean, whoever committed hmm. whoever committed that crime, even in 1987, was probably long gone. You know, and it probably wasn't. Uh, the weird dude who is currently at the island, the son. Maybe of the it was dude. his dad. It probably was his dad. Dad totally did it. Or just it could have been somebody who worked on the island. You know. Yeah, because yeah, that the the cemetery wasn't only reserved for the family; it was reserved for people that were like associated to to the island. So there is a possibility that maybe it was like a, a worker that had passed on and in their will had left that they wanted their remains to be scattered about on the island and you know the box was probably put into a shed meant to be like oh you know i'm gonna do it later and then no one got around to no it. one ever got around to and it. and that guy just had his same five meals and never went to the shed to find these fucking human dust i don't know yeah i mean <laughs> it like there's no like it, this isn't one where it's like ah you know we got enough stuff over here i could probably I, I know exactly what happened <laughs> like there's, there's nothing it's like Oh, it's a lady. She was maybe older. She died after World War II. That doesn't really help. Yeah, there, there's not enough info on this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'd like to take a moment to apologize for this kind of boring episode. Honestly, I think this was like the <laughs> least climactic Unsolved Mysteries episode I've ever watched. Well, yeah. Well, some of the cases are pretty anticlimactic. I mean, Yeti's fun, but there's no answer there. You know that going into it. Yeah, there's fucking Lost Loves, which is like, okay, that's a happy ending. And then um, there's those people just, those that nice old couple just getting murdered by a drunk driver. Uh, They catch him, but fuck. Yeah. And then we got Yeti, which, yeah, no answer there. And then this one, which is just fucking just a weird little mystery. Yeah. Um, I do want to say that Dan and I were just watching Forensic Files 2. And they did uh, a case that we've done on this uh, podcast. Uh, Tanya Van Kuhlenberg and Jay. Fuck, I forget her boyfriend's name, Jay. They were Canadian kids that were in a van and they got murdered bodies dumped in separate places she was raped and uh the family's got really creepy notes it was solved really recently with the whole jed match you know the kind of uh, golden state killer uh method and a new forensic files covered it in full you know with the actual end which you know i think when we covered it that case had just got solved or you know so, something like that so it's cool to see that forensic files did that uh case and, you know, and it's a complete story now because if you know one thing about Forensic Files, you always know that there's going to be a fucking answer. And that's one, the nicest part about that show. Uh, but that's not what we do here. <laughs> 
But yeah, that's nice. If you want to get more on that case, uh, check that out. Forensic Files 2 also is great. Forensic Files 2. Not, I wasn't saying Forensic Files 2. Forensic Files as well. Forensic Files Part 2, the second, is great. Um, we're loving it over here. So let's, uh, next week, next, or well, not next week, next episode. We got some aliens. We got some uh, mystery. Uh, and we have some ghosts. Do we have any media? Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. Um, it's gonna be good, guys. And we're gonna have a special guest, uh, a literal friend of the show, because we met him through the show. Um, our buddy Dan Derwin will be on the show with us, hanging out. He is definitely more of a Unsolved Mysteries expert, so that'll be fun. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, hang out with us uh, while you're hanging out at home and uh, yeah stay six feet away from everybody and keep it real right for every mystery there's somebody somewhere who knows that truth perhaps that someone's listening and perhaps that someone is you and uh, have a good night guys be safe be well yeah stay indoors or stay isolated six feet apart yeah grocery stores and dog walking only right what's the other one uh, tending, doctor, doctor, tending to other people's needs. Like if you're caring for an elderly person or delivering meals or whatnot. Yeah. Like David and I are taking serious. Uh, in fact, we're actually recording this episode in two separate rooms. Yeah, via we're using Skype. Skype, and we're using two separate Zoom six devices. No, we're not. Uh, it's too late for us, guys. Um, but yeah. Uh, be good, and we'll uh, we'll be back real soon. Thanks for listening. Take care.